You are listening to the Grow Law Firm Podcast, where each guest shares actionable, practical ideas with you on how to get more clients, expand your reach, and grow your law firm's revenue and profit. Here's your host, Sasha Burson. Welcome to Grow Law Firm Podcast. I have an amazing guest here with me today, James Grant of Georgia Trial Attorneys. James, welcome to the show. Hey, Sasha. Thanks for having me. I'm really pumped about our uh, podcast today. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's great to have you here. So you've started back in 2015 with your partner, correct? Yes. Yeah. Started with nothing and it was a train wreck, but you know, yeah. figuring it out, it's, it's, it's an everyday occurrence of how are we going to refine? How are we going to get better? What are we going to look at? And what are we going to improve? So fascinating. What made it such a train wreck out of the gate? It's the, it's generally the, the typical, you know, mantra with most attorneys is none of us know anything about business. Mm. Most attorneys are terrible with math, terrible with numbers. And yet the vast majority of us end up owning our own law firms, which we don't really think about as business entities, but that's exactly what they are. And if you get thrown into it, you kind of have to figure it out. But, you know, it's one of those things looking back, I wish I would have had a coach early on. I wish I would have had somebody to tell me, this is actually how you run a business. You just don't set up shop and all of a sudden the stars align and everything works out and you know unicorns and rainbows and sunshine and lollipops start happening. So, so interesting that you put it this way because I always think about it this way. Attorneys, about two thirds of all attorneys in the United States and there are roughly like 1.4 million. So we're talking about like 800,000 people are either directly self-employed or somewhat self-employed because they kind of sort of eat what they kill, right? You yeah, work I, mean, in a small I, think, I think it's one of the biggest failings when it comes to the law schools and the state bars across the nation. Because like you said, I mean, 1.5 million, 1.4 million, that's a whole lot of attorneys that are out there. And if you've got, you know, seven, eight, 900,000 of them that are owners of their own businesses, but they don't know anything about businesses, and then when you look at all of the problems and the reputation of attorneys, if you fix the business problems, you fix the reputation of attorneys, you fix the industry and things are just going to be so much better. But it's kind of, I think it's kind of one of the, you know, the, the good old boy things of, well, this is the way that we've always done it. And we're only about the practice of law. And that's all that matters when it's really so far from it. But it applies to just about every profession in every field, but here's what's different that's what I find different about attorneys. Attorneys are, unlike most other specialists, because that's what you guys are, right? You finish your law school and, and you go and you practice somewhere and you become a specialist in law. But attorneys are more educated on an average, I would find to have a much higher IQ than a typical small business owner, but business acumen is as low or even lower than a typical business owner who you meet it. And I think it's because you're so, so vested and so invested in becoming a lawyer. And then once you do, and most of you will go and become self-employed, two-thirds, work in law firms that are smaller than 11 attorneys. Small, really small businesses. And if you don't know very much about the business aspect, things are difficult. What, if you could remember, going back to 2015, so this is eight years ago, three things that made it exceptionally difficult, made it that train wreck, as you put it. I think a lot of it starts with kind of what you were alluding to just a second ago of when you go back to the environment that we started in, when we started in law school, you know, we're generally, you know, that higher IQ, the, the, the smarter people 
mm-hmm. of the undergraduate degrees. And then you put them in this super competitive cutthroat environment to where you're the best. You have to be the best. And you're the only person that can have the right answers. And then it that's what you take with you to the business world where you have to have all the answers. You have to be the best. You can't ask for help because you have to be the number one when that's not the way business works. Business is about relationships and working together, not necessarily competing with everyone for everything. So, you know, when I, when I look back to 2015, that was probably one of the biggest things is just the mindset. I did not have the mindset of an entrepreneur. I thought it was all about just doing really good legal work. And if I do really good legal work, then I'm going to get more clients and things are going to be great, but you, you can't really plan a business around just great legal work. There's so much more from marketing, sales, you know, your written processes and policies and procedures, your people, your human resources, your financial controls and your metrics, your personal development on yourself. I mean, all of these things weave together to create your business. And if you neglect any one of them, then something's going to fall. Something's going to fall through the cracks. So it's really about building that you know, comprehensive law firm that's a business at the same time. Interesting. So I find that that for most attorneys who are just starting out and for those who have been in business for 5, 10, 15, sometimes 20, 30 years, the hardest not to crack is the revenue engine, marketing and sales. How did you start out and how does that compare to where you are today, eight years later? So, I mean, when you when you start a business initially, I mean, at least for us, my business partner and I, we were like, we got to do everything we can to get cases because at that point you've got bills to pay and you're on a small scale. So you're effectively in the what I call hustle market sell mode where hours don't matter. You're working days, nights, mm-hmm. weekends, everything because you've got to get the next case because it's not like you're at a place where you've got a constant stream of revenue, a constant stream of clients, you know, marketing, you've got all these processes built in place. So it's, it's a lot of hustling. But when we started our business, we were focused on personal injury after the first probably year, year and a half. We, we decided that, you know, we're going to pick personal injury, that's the lane we're going to stay in. But even within personal injury, there's so many fields and so many different practice areas. And I found that the the further you niche down and you pick a specialty, the more opportunities that actually open up because then you get to set yourself apart from everyone as I'm the authority figure in this thing. Now, you have to make sure that there's enough volume and enough market share to support a business. But generally in personal injury, there's a lot of areas where people can go. And the area that we have found that there's not a lot of competition in our market space is personal injury litigation. There's a lot of firms that are very good at getting cases. They, they have a system for marketing and sales that just works and produces consistent, reliable results. And we found that the team that you need to run a pre-litigation personal injury practice is not the same team that you can use to run a litigation practice well. Now, most try to do it, but I give the analogy of like, you know, football and baseball. You can't take the player from the Falcons and put them on the Braves, and you can't take a player from the Braves mm-hmm. and put them on the Falcons. Even though they're, they're professionals in their own right, they're not professionals in that field. So we found an area where we can help a lot of lawyers make more money faster and with less stress by serving as their outsourced litigation department so that they then lose all of that overhead training cost and everything that's associated with litigation and just get to go dump more money into their pre-lit marketing machine, which then we grow together. 
And that's where our marketing has evolved and our business model has evolved. So your business model is that of serving other law firms. They yes. come to you and they say, I have this case. It's not going to settle. It has to go to trial because that's where we're going to maximize the value. So they come to you for that. I love your branding that it's in fact, Georgia, and I'm looking at my other monitor, Georgia trial attorneys. It tells you exactly what it is that you do. I didn't know when I looked at the website that you actually work specifically with other law firms and cases come to you that way. How did you decide on that specific model? It was just more of realizing that this is how we differentiate ourselves. When, when it comes to personal injury, you know, that's the field that we were in. We could have set up a shop and been a pre-litigation marketing you know, firm, and that would have been just as well. But your competition is so much higher. And when we were sitting back looking at it, we're like, well, that's a very highly saturated market. Mm -hmm. It works. It produces results. However, why don't we go to a market share where we can probably have maybe 60% of the market share in major metropolitan area in Atlanta. That sounds like a lot better deal and a lot easier to then create something new as opposed to just trying to be like everyone else. You know, I always like to be different to set a unique value proposition to have something that's different as opposed to, well, we give the, you know, we give the best customer service or we have the best client experience or we have the best results. You know, everyone says those things, but it's those not. are subjective standpoints or yeah. subjective metrics. Whereas if you have an objective differentiating factor, then that really helps you in your marketing, in your sales, in your results on down the line. Definitely. So, so let's suppose that I am an attorney and I have a case, which I'm not, but I have a case in the state of Georgia and it should be litigated and they come to you and I'm looking at you and I'm like, James, why you, why not anybody else who does what you do? So the way we differentiate ourselves is there, there are a few other law firms that do what we do as far as handling litigation for other mm -hmm. firms. But the big differentiating factor is a lot of those firms, they also run a pre-litigation marketing campaign out of their firm. So what that does is it kind of introduces this weird dynamic where if you and I are working together, well, you're going to send me a case. I'm going to work that case and we're going to work together. But when the case is done, I'm going to send you a part of the fee. I'm going to take a part of the fee. And then I'm going to step over here to where now we're competitors. So yeah. now you're indirectly funding your competition because over here, I don't really want you to look at this, but guess what? I'm competing with you at the same time. Whereas what we've decided is, well, we're in the business of helping people. I'm in the business of helping other lawyers. I'm in the business of helping their clients. And if I truly want to say that that is what I'm doing, I can't be your competition at the same time. So that's our commitment is if you're going to work with us, we're going to grow together. We're not going to compete. We're going to complement. So that means no digital ads, no, no, no Facebook, no Google, no buses, no billboards, no TV, no any of those things, because I don't want to compete for your clients. I just want to know other law firm owners like you so I can help you and other businesses grow their pre-litigation business by working on their litigation. Good for you. Your website was not very clear about that. Like I wouldn't have gathered from that thing that you should have a video of that just like says exactly what you just said, right? So if I was an attorney and obviously I have a myriad of options where to go with the case or cases, right? Like, like I listen to you and I'm like, huh, that makes so much more sense. This is my partner rather than my co-pattern who is going yep. to compete with me here. 
But well, to your point, that's that's something that I'm actually working on this week because I'm shooting a couple of new videos and we're going to yeah. the website so that way we can clarify that message as well. Got it. What is like if you look at the last three years and the last three years have been so unusual, we're recording this in the middle of 2023. So 2021, 22, now in 23. What is your average growth rate, like revenue growth rate? I don't even know dollar numbers, but what are you growing like as far as percentage on annual basis? Yeah, I mean, so we, we've had some pretty significant growth. For the first couple of years, from 2015 to 2018, we probably had an average of 35% growth. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that was great for, you know, a new business, but everything was kind of like pants on fire. You know, you, you, we didn't know how to run a business. We didn't have metrics. We were just kind of like groping our way in the dark through this process. In 2018, we hired a business coach and that really, you know, catapulted us exponentially. I think at the the end of 2018, our gross revenue was $674,000. Last year, we hit $1.7 million. This year, we're on track for somewhere between, you know, $2.6, $2.8 million. And that growth is attributed to the fact that we now run a business that just so happens to practice law. We don't we don't just have a practice. We have a business that has repeatable processes, repeatable procedures that we're able to leverage. And myself and Mark, we don't work in the business anymore. We work on the business so that we can be the visionaries of what the business looks like in the next one, three, five, ten years down the road. So a lot of really strong insights there. You decided to, and I just want to point this out to other attorneys who are listening to this. You probably have an idea just how many law firms are there. When you go to their website, they have practice areas. And then there's like everything and the kitchen sink. We do it all. Business law, done. Estate planning, of course. Trust, probates, yes. Criminal defense, obviously. Real estate, we do it. Personal injury, naturally. The riches are always in the niches. This is a case in point you will be more successful by focusing. And, and here, you have done something much deeper, right? You didn't just say personal injury. You niche down and said personal injury, working for other, with other law firms, not going out directly to the marketplace and trying to solicit business from the marketplace. Your marketplace are personal injury lawyers, which is amazing. You hired a business coach five years ago, which revolutionized your business. It sounds like from 2022 to 2023, you're going to grow at approximately 65%. This is how it compares to other professional service organizations like law firms. In a typical year, they grow at a rate of 4.3%. So you are like 15xing it. 15% faster. Now we can say this year we're still experiencing significant inflation. So we can adjust it for inflation. Let's say that others are going to grow if they can adjust their fees, which a lot of law firms cannot adjust their fees. So inflation is 10%, but the fees are going up at a click of like 4 or 5%. So I'm actually like, like slowly drowning. But let's say that they can grow with inflation and say that they increase 10%. You're going to grow 65%, which is six and a half times faster than a typical law firm. Keys to success. Hyper-focus on one business sub niche not even a niche it's not personal injury it's personal injury working with other lawyers having a business coach that revolutionized your business is there another thing that you would look back and say like over the last five six seven eight years this was just 
mission critical for us to get to where we are today? It's It's got to be the ability to adapt. Mm-hmm. As, as business owners, and especially in the legal profession, you know, things like technology scare a lot of people. And, you know, there are still those law firms that, you know, have brick and mortar offices where everybody comes into the office every day and everything is paper files. And, you know, that's the way things worked. That's not the future of the practice of law. So when you see things that come, you can't be scared of technology and advances. I mean, we're, we're leveraging things with AI that most attorneys are scared of or just they're scratching the surface with. And the, the more you embrace technology and change, you're going to catapult yourself ahead of your competition to where, you know, for example, like th- these big insurance companies that we're going up against all the time. They're using systems that were created back in 2005. Mm. They move very, very slow, these giant corporations. But with a small law firm like me of 20 people, we can move very, very fast. So speed is your key. Don't let technology and those other things scare you. You mentioned 20 people. That really caught my attention. How many of those are actually attorneys? So we have three producing attorneys. We have another contract attorney as well. It's more part-time, but it's three producing attorneys and we have a a large virtual assistant staff as well. So we have a large part of our office that is in Mexico and that we use to do a lot of the work in our cases from an administrative standpoint as well. I love it. So if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, please take a note. This is just, this is not the future. This is happening today in 2023. And for some law firms, it's been happening for a couple of years now. So if you cannot build a virtual team, chances are your costs are significantly higher than those of your competitors can. By the way, I'm going to put in a plug for a friend who's been on my podcast a few months ago, Sam Malay. I don't know if you ever met him, but the virtual law firm guy, he operates seven law firms without really operating them. So I love that you said that you and your partner mostly focus on working on the business, not in the business. Sam is just another example. I mean, the guy's probably, he's like early thirties, seven firms. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's possible. possible. It's possible. I asked him how, and he was like, I have a great business manager who oversees all seven firms. And I'm like, Sam, I know that everything that you do is virtual. Where's your business manager? And he's like, Philippines. Well, and, and we've we've seen it for years. I mean, you know, large corporations like Target and all these, you know, customer service based companies, you would call and you would speak to somebody in, in another country. And so we've known about this, mm-hmm. but it really wasn't until COVID where we were forced into a virtual environment that we realized that we could really embrace this and leverage the abilities of a global pool of candidates as opposed to just, you know, people that live within a, you know, five to 10 mile radius of your physical Mm -hmm. location. That really hampers you from a hiring standpoint. Do you not have a physical office, like like headquarters for your law firm at all? Does everyone work from home? Yes to both. We do have a physical location. Uh, The one thing that we really haven't been able to figure out is incoming mail. We haven't been able to figure out a solution to deal with incoming mail just because we're dealing specifically with a lot of checks and 
outsourcing that proves difficult. You can outsource incoming mail if you're not dealing with checks, but dealing with checks and deposits and stuff like that, that's been a tough one. So we have a part-time receptionist that comes into our physical office mm -hmm. two days a week to handle our incoming mail, but everything else, everybody else works virtually. Sometimes, you know, our attorneys will get together to kind of have, you know, a day together and spend time physically in person at the office or grab lunch together, but everybody works from home. I work from home and I've, I've learned to embrace it. That's amazing. I've worked from home since 2017. Yes, I have an office right now. I'm in our Chicago office. I hate the commute. It's 27 miles one way. And Chicago, I-94, Edens, is always under construction. Every year. I've been in Chicago for 30 years. Every single year, it's under construction. So to me, it's just such a drag. I had to, like, once a month or so, my partner and I have in-person meetings. So I drive down here. He actually lives in the city. I'm in the burbs. It's such a hassle. Congrats, man. That's this is a lot of progress. Five years from now, where do you see your law firm? So our law firm may not be too vastly different from where we are today. We, we still you know, plan probably in the 40 to 60 percent growth for the next couple of years. However, Mark and I's focus is probably going to transition from running this business to running a couple other businesses. Um, we're, we're putting some things together right now for we, we hate case management softwares that are out there. I, I hate the vast majority of them. And it's not a knock against them, but it's for what people think case management softwares do versus what they actually do. Mm. Most case management softwares just do three things. They're, they're, they take notes, they're a calendaring system, and they help with some document generation. But there's no real true automation to the processes and the workflows, which so many people think that's what they're getting, where Microsoft Microsoft is just the most wonderful thing that's out there. We we only understand just scratching the surface of what Microsoft can truly do, but there's so many things with Power BI and Dynamics and their automations and workflows that you can really build a system that works for you and is almost foolproof as opposed to having manual functions that are run by staff. And so we're, we're building some things that we hope to have maybe at least an alpha and beta test by the end of this year, beginning of next year, that we can you know, start start to leverage some of the, the big boys in the tech world to scare them. Good for you. So when, when you have the beta version or alpha version, whichever, let me know. Come back on the podcast and like demo it here and just explain like how that's going to, because like everybody in B2B buys for one of three reasons or a combination of them. Like this will help us grow revenue or this will help us cut costs or this will help us increase market share. When it comes to law firms, nobody thinks about market share, so we can scratch that. So it either helps you increase revenue or cut costs. When they look at practice management software, we know people at Clio, I've interviewed one of their executives on this podcast. I think it's a good system, but I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an end user, so I don't know. I cannot promote it. But um, I know that implementing it, just implementing Clio, as flawed or as perfect as it may be, still cut costs tremendously. So I assume that whatever you're building is going to cut costs even further because your involvement into that possibly non-billable work, administrative work, is going to be slashed considerably. Is that correct? Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's, that's a big part. Mm -hmm. There are some tasks that you can't automate when it comes to the, the high-level task that the attorney does. Mm -hmm. But really, we forget that 
you only need a law license for very few things. You need a law license to give legal advice, to sign documents, but that's not a thing anymore because everything's e-sign, and then to argue in court and attend depositions and hearings. So really, you only need a law license to do two things now. And if your attorneys are doing anything more than that, then you're overpaying for those tasks. So that's where we want to be able to come in and provide resources that actually work, that produce the same results every time without fail for a particular situation. So that way you can automate so much more, have a higher caseload and lower overhead. Yeah, it's interesting. Most attorneys I speak with, even those who are very ambitious, if they're operating a smaller law firm, they're afraid of the words higher caseload without really understanding what it entails. It doesn't mean that you're going to work more. You can hand off more cases to your associates. And if you do things right, your associates should cost you about one-fourth of what it is that they're generating, right? Which a lot of law firms don't do that. They're hiring people when they're like, two for one. If they give you $100,000, I'm happy to pay them $100,000. No. No, you're going to bankrupt yourself in the process. Yeah, at that point, you're 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 paying for them to work for you. Yeah, that's, oh. that's, a, that's a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea, but it is so common. Well-established law firms, we've seen them, 20-plus attorneys, 30-plus attorneys, 40-plus attorneys, and I'm looking at their top-line numbers, and I'm like, oh, this is not good. And the managing partner who understands numbers usually says, yeah, it's not good. And I'm like, well, how'd you get here? And they're like, well, here's how we got here. I'm like, well, what do you do about it? And usually we do talk about automation. Interesting piece of data came from Clio when I interviewed John Lennon, their executive. He said that most lawyers, when they sign up for Clio, once they start really tracking data inside the system, they figure out that on average, and they have something like 30,000 active users. It's like on average, they spend 1.7 hours per day on billable work, and the rest of it is just administrative and this data. Oh. Oh, yeah. But everybody, every lawyer you talk to, they're super busy. Yeah. But 80% of the time is spent not making money. That's that. That's a tough pill to swallow for sure. So, yeah. So, there, he was like, like, once you really start utilizing the software, you go from 1.7 to 2.3. That's a big improvement. We're talking about like 35, 40%, right? It's a big improvement. But I'm wondering, the system that you're working on, if you can forecast like how much of those things, because you said that those software, price management software are not about automation, they're mostly about tracking and you have to do some data input into them. How much automation, like how much administrative slash unnecessary work will, do, will that software automate? Our plan is that it will be, I mean, your AI and so many people are scared of AI and automation and all this stuff. It's, it's not coming for people's jobs in the sense of what so many people think about. It. You know, this is not like Skynet and the Terminator movies where it's going to take over the world. AI alone is not going to take anyone's job. However, an individual that is skilled, that knows how to leverage AI is going to be able to take the jobs of probably five or 10 people because they're going to be able to use that technology to its maximum potential. And that is the best way I've heard anyone put it. Uh, I'm sorry. I, that is the absolute best way that I've heard anybody put it. I mean, it's, it just makes sense that way. You know, you, you don't need to be scared of it, but you need to know how to use it because what, it, it will take jobs that are, you know, lower level jobs that can be automated, 
So now's the time. If, if you're in that lower level part of your career, look into how you can start leveraging and learning AI so that then you can become that implementer when the time comes and set yourself above the rest. This is very Darwinian. So this is about survival of the fittest or rather survival of those who can adapt yeah. to the change that's already here. It's not coming. It is already here. So let me repeat what you said. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that what you said was that AI is not going to replace any jobs, but a person who knows how to use AI may replace five people, five people who don't know how to use AI. And I think that this is probably how it's going to play out for larger law firms that may take longer, although they're becoming more adaptable than they have been, right? They understand that the change is already here. It's not common, it's already here. So they will probably start moving faster. But huh, for anyone who learns how to use AI, let me take it back one step. Just because there is AI here, doesn't mean that there will be more cases. Case volume, globally, regionally, locally, nationwide is gonna be the same. Chances are PI cases, there will probably be fewer PI cases 10, 15, 20 years down the road because of all the wonderful technology that's coming on our roadways. There will be fewer accidents. It's highly likely. Everyone anticipates this. So there will probably be either the same or a lower number of cases. And people who learn how to utilize technology to make themselves faster, they will be more productive. And those people who can attract business and be very productive are going to dominate while those who don't do either or don't do both are probably going to be out of work, at least in this industry. I mean, you know, it's 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 sad, but it's the unfortunate reality of the circumstances that are presented before us. But technology has always replaced manual labor over, we're talking about 260 years since the onset of industrial revolution. This is nothing new. Huh. Super interesting. I can't wait to see what it is that you guys are cooking up. So you are going to not focus on managing the law firm. You're going to focus on something that's actually going to be potentially not 10x, but potentially has 100x on what you do. Yeah, I mean, that that's the, you know, there's, there's a, a couple other things as well that we're working on. We probably have three or four or five different businesses that we'll probably be working on throughout this whole process but that the, the case management software and uh, effectively project management assistance with other law firms and their cases is really going to i think be a next level thing here's what i'm really curious about so your law firm is projected to do 2.6 million dollars this year which it's not a small business well it's not a small law firm but it still is a very small business how do you have the courage to start a few other things while you still are operating and you are operating, you're working on the business, but you're still operating a very small business. Like what drives you? So Mark and I both like shiny new objects. <laughs> that also uh, can be problematic as well for yeah. entrepreneurs. Yeah. So you, you have to be careful, but we, we, we do like things that are new. We do like things that are exciting and, and, and change and adapting and building stuff. So that fits in with both of us very well. 
it also can be problematic because if you embrace it too much, then you can neglect what's already working. Right. So it, it's it's a fine dynamic of making sure that we're checking each other so that we're not falling too far into one before the other's ready to be effectively self-sustaining. Mm -hmm. How old are you guys? So I'm 37. I think Mark is, he's like, I think he's 40. I think that's right. Got it. I wonder if this is more of a young man's game where the shiny new object syndrome is running stronger. So I'm like, I'm in my mid forties now, I'll be 45 in a couple of months. And I still have that, but I've always wanted to build like a catalog of businesses where I am not operating one or the other, but I actually have this like collection, right? So for right now, I am 100% focused on this one. I know the point, revenue point and profitability point where I will have enough cash coming in, enough profitability, where I can replace me. And if my partner wants to be replaced here with highly skilled management team yep. and have them take over operations and only meet with me once a month and review performance reports and then quarterly and then manual, obviously. So I would be more of a board member position rather than actually like an operator. But that is still a few years away a few years away so i always think about people who have the courage to like do this but also do this and do this and i wonder at projected 2.6 2.7 million dollars this year how confident do you feel stepping out and letting somebody else run the show you have to embrace that because as an entrepreneur you have to learn you're not the smartest and best at everything there's always somebody that's better at you in a particular area. And that means that as the business owner, you aren't the best receptionist. You aren't the best salesperson. You aren't the best janitor. You aren't the best paralegal. You aren't the best associate or managing attorney or bookkeeper or you know CEO or CMO. or any. You may be really good a part of the time, but you're not good at all of those things all the time. So the more you surround yourself with people that are great in those positions where they want to be 100% of the time, then you build a culture where the firm is working together towards a goal and is not reliant on you. When the firm and the business relies on you or is you, you can't step away because then the firm and the business effectively steps away. Yeah, 100%. I've, uh, some of the data I'm about to share is anecdotal, others is like very hard data. So. When they think about legal field, not any other business, but legal field, I imagine it as far as income levels as a pyramid. So the bottom layer, the thickest layer are lawyers who practice law. 2021, Bureau of Labor Statistics data, median income there, $127,990. I don't know why they didn't round it up to $128,000. They did. To be in the top 10% income earner in the field, $209,000. I've heard, and this is where it's anecdotal. I've heard that vast majority of top income earners are going to top out at 450. It is a glass ceiling that's almost impossible to break through for one reason. There aren't enough billable hours. Yes, there are those who practice personal injury and do only incredibly high value cases. We know them. They have usually been in the business for decades. And they're very selective about the cases that they will take out. If the case doesn't have a value to the firm of at least $750,000, they just don't touch. 
and they do end up working on those cases and they make a ton of money, definitely over 450. But for vast majority, excluding those exceptions, 450 is the glass ceiling. Then there is the next layer, and it's small in comparison to the bottom layer. And that next layer are the rainmakers. They do not practice law for the most part. They may spend 5-10% of their time working on cases, but the rest of the time, they're spending it on other activities, which are typically going around, shaking hands, drinking coffee, having lunches, drinking beers, swinging golf clubs. They're just rainmaking. They're pulling in cases. They do not work those cases. And then at the tip of this pyramid, there's maybe three, four, five percent, and those are effective CEOs of their law firms. Rainmakers, unlike lawyers who practice law, can make between half a million dollars to maybe like one, 1.2, maybe 1.5. The CEOs of law firms can make a base salary of 300, 360K a year, plus 20, 25% of net profit at the year's end pre-tax which if you can build a $5 million law firm, which it sounds like you're well on the way, whether you're there or not, whether you're practicing law or not, because you already built that trajectory, that's a cool mill if you're making just 20% pre-tax that could be added to your whatever it is that you're making for managing the firm. Or in your case, in Mark's case, you will not be managing the firm, you will have somebody else manage it, but you will have that profit left at the year's end, which I find if you can build a self-managing business of any kind, an amazing thing. Everybody wants it, most people never get it. So it's amazing that what, what you've already built, and I cannot wait to see what, what you build, what your next venture is going to look like. So I definitely beg you to come back on the podcast and actually demo it because it sounds so incredibly cool. And again, if you're watching this and you're scared of this change, just embrace it. I know it's easier said than done, but it's not even coming. It, it, it's, it's here. Yeah. It's Whether you want it or not, it's here. 100%. And... I just know historically there have been so many industries that have been revolutionized. Well, it depends on how you look at it. Like your mindset can be they were destroyed, but then actually they were revolutionized by automation. And the strive for automation and making things better and for businesses to become more productive has been around for probably thousands of years, but especially starting with the uh, Industrial Revolution in the 1800s or 1700s. It's always been that way. So you need to embrace the change or think about the career change. It's coming. Can't say that's bad way. advice. <laughs> huh? I can't say that's bad advice. That's probably pretty good advice. But because it is. like, it's, it's, Here's an analogy. If you're a truck driver, the writing is on the wall. Like you have five, 10 years, maybe 15. But within that span of time, there's an incredibly high probability that your job will no longer exist. There are seven or eight multi-billion dollar companies that are working on outsourcing your job to a whole bunch of sensors and a computer. And the thing is never going to get tired. It's not going to cause accidents for the most part. It will drive around 24 seven. You will not need to be fed. It will not need health insurance. It's coming. By the way, there are a million truck drivers in this country and there are 2 million others who support those. If you're in that industry, just embrace that it's coming, whether you want it or not, whether you hate the idea, but it's coming. And if you're an attorney, you will not be replaced by AI 
But as you, James, put it, you will be replaced by a guy or a gal who knows how to use AI. And that person will be replacing four or five others. It's such an awesome point. Again, like I've never heard anyone put it so well as you did. If anybody wants to get in touch with you because they're looking for an amazing litigation attorney in the state of Georgia, you guys are licensed just in the state of Georgia, right? For right now, yeah. Are you looking to expand geographically? Yeah. Yep. Cool. What other states? Somebody might be watching this a year from now. So the, the first state that we'll go into will be South Carolina. Got it. Okay, next door. Then? From there, we'll, we'll see. But we'll, we first got to get one state wrapped up, and then we'll get, get into South Carolina and then go from there. Got it. So where did they find you if they want to but connect? The, the easiest way to get in touch with us, our toll-free number is also our URL. So it's 833-4-THE-WIN. That's 833-THE-NUMBER-4-THE-WIN.COM. Or just put it in your phone and call me. What, why is it 833? Is that the area code? No, no. I mean, we were we were looking for like one of those vanity toll-free numbers and just wow. trying to make it work. And we, we, we plugged it in. We're like, this works. We this like works. it. And so that's what we suck with. Got it. James, such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And I expect you to be back. Expect you to be back. and beg you to be back whenever that thing is ready to be like shown. It doesn't have to be complete, but just show it. So people once again embrace that change that's that's coming their way like a freight train. It's coming. Oh, don't worry. I'll be yeah. back. Thanks, James. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Grow Law Firm podcast. If you liked the ideas shared in this episode, help a fellow lawyer out by sharing a link to the episode. This episode is powered by the team of experts in client attraction, growlawfirm.com. Do you want a complimentary growth plan for your law firm? Request it at growlawfirm.com slash blueprint.